Welcome to Shoot This Now, the podcast where every week we talk about stories that should be made into TV shows and movies. My name is Tim Malloy, and with me as always, actually not always, my co-host and wife friend, Deirdre McCarrick. Hi, Tim. This is the first time we've done one of these together in like a month. I know. We've been busy bees. Very busy bees. We've been traveling. We started an online marketplace for used iPods. We, what else? We framed a bunch of Daniel Close posters. We did. We made some pizzas. We did. We went to a dear friend's wedding. Hi, Allison and Tyson. Congratulations. Congratulations. Um, Yeah. And this week you have a doozy. I do have a doozy. Of a story. I do. And I'm excited to talk to you about it. Cool. Do you want to dive in without further? Oh, actually, before we dive in. Can we ask anyone listening who enjoys this to please recommend the podcast to their best friend? Indeed. And you don't have to wait till they get married to recommend it. You can do it now. Right. Because the wedding we were at was for your best friend. It was. Am I blowing up your spot by publicly naming Allison as your best friend? No. No. Cool. Tell your best friend there's this podcast I like. Maybe that's how you let them know that they're your best friend. And then maybe you'll be in their wedding because they enjoy the podcast so much and they want to show their gratitude to you. Maybe your speech is all about this podcast. So if you want to be a maid of honor or best man, tell them to listen to this podcast. Cool. And why should they listen to it? What's this episode about? So today we're going to talk about an innovative, life-altering product (laughs) that you've probably never heard of. And we're going to talk about its mercurial inventor who wouldn't sell his product that could have revolutionized the world. Hmm. I'm talking about Maurice Ward and his product, Starlight. Starlight. How do you spell Starlight? S-T-A-R-L-I-T-E. First, I'm going to tell you why this is relevant now. Okay. Okay. Uh, We're in an age of innovation and entrepreneurship. People are striking out on their own to come up with the next big idea. You've got Tesla. You've got Google, SpaceX. Starlight. And, well, Starlight could have very well been in that mix if its inventor had sold it back in the day but he never did. Um, So Starlight, what it was, was a heat-resistant plastic, plaster-like material. Doesn't sound that sexy, but let me continue. It could protect a human hand from a blowtorch. Okay, think about that. Could it really do that, or did he say it could do that? It could really do that. Wow. Um, Think of the application of a material that could resist temperatures of 10,000 degrees. That's amazing. Do you know how hot that is, Tim? That seems like the material on the space shuttle. That's the temperature of the surface of the sun. Good Lord. Or the blast of a nuclear bomb. Wow. It's hot. If you think about the applications, I mean, it could protect children. It could help with space travel. It could protect from a nuclear flash. I mean, it really could have, it could literally have enabled people to walk through fire. Okay. Okay. This story is crazy. Yeah. So our comps... I think are... And just for listeners, comps are comparisons. Comparisons. Comps is Hollywood talk for comparisons. A comp is like, it's like John Wick meets Ghostbusters. Exactly. That sounds like one hell of a movie, by the way. (laughs) But that's not what this movie is. This movie is like... This movie is like Flubber meets Shampoo. Oh, my God. Or The Social Network meets Shine. Wow. Okay. So you're probably wondering why Shampoo the wonderful Warren Beatty movie we saw recently. Mm-hmm. And the reason is Maurice Ward was it started, started his career as a hairdresser. 
What? Yes. So let me tell you more about him. So I think the first act of the film is really Maurice Ward, the hairdresser, because it, 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 it kind of was an early, it pointed to what he eventually cre- did. It pointed to what he eventually did with Starlight. So he started his career as a hairdresser, I think almost a transformer. Um, he would transform women's appearances and make them feel good. He worked as a hairdresser during the 60s um, and ran a local salon in Hartlepool, England with his wife, Eileen, and four daughters. Um, it's a coastal town in northern England. He spent many years learning to design and mix his own hair dyes, and he apparently bragged that his heads could never be copied. This feels to me like kind of an off-market Austin Powers. Like, he's like very swanky, very British, um, but he's not in like, you know, London. Right. He's in like northern coastal England. But apparently he's really good and women are coming from all over northern England to see him. Um, He said in an interview, what L'Oreal and Garnier are doing today, I was doing 50 years ago and they still haven't got it right. Wow. So he was definitely good at what he did from all accounts. Wow. So... How did he go from hairdresser to inventor? I was going to ask You're probably that. wondering, Tim. Yeah. yeah. That exact question. Um, so interestingly enough, his time as a hairdresser played an important role, in my opinion. Um, in a 2009 interview, here's what he said. I think I probably asked around a little bit, and it may have done a bit of reading, but I had to find my way around the type of materials that we needed to use, which wasn't easy. I think it was my experience in hairdressing that really brought it together. We used to do coloring in the early days. I had about 20 years hairdressing, and it took me about three years to learn how to do coloring. It was really downstream from that as to how I came up about making up the compositions and the formulations and the actual materials which we've used in Starlight. Okay, so just to give voice to what some people in the audience might be thinking, that sounds like bullshit. Why does that sound like bullshit? It sounds like this might be the story of a con man who said that he invented an amazing material, but didn't really. Okay, so you think you're picturing Austin Powers prancing around northern England in his little, his little tiny baby car mm-hmm. and just fabricating truths about uh, heat-resistant plastics. Maybe, yeah. I think it's possible. I mean, he sees... That sounds like something Dr. Evil would do more than Austin Powers, just so you, you know. They're played by the same man. What do you mean? I'm just saying. I'm saying this guy saw The Graduate, he saw that the future is in plastics, and he decided that he was going to get into plastics. I just, okay, I'm not saying that's my theory. I'm just saying that for devil's advocacy, okay. and for the sake of injecting some conflict into this story, I think there's always going to be a lingering fear that this is fake. That's absolutely one of the fears. Um, So we're going to get to that in a little bit. But I I, want to just wrap up, I think, Act 1 around him as a hairdresser and the influence that that job had on his invention. And I think in my head, I, I, I thought about a few visuals that I think were interesting. Like, do we see him playing with pomade or putting it through the hairs of like a 60s greaser? And then that, you know, ultimately is the texture of starlight, <laughs> you know? So I feel like we need to see that influence from hairdresser to inventor hmm. um, and maybe establish that he's a guy that's never satisfied, right? Like he, he, he wants more, you know? He's like Warren Beatty in Shampoo, except that he wants more of his um, l- ladies. 
Yeah. Well, that was Warren Beatty. Right. Warren Beatty wanted the sex. This guy wants more of the acclaim. Yes. Success. Or I don't even know if it's that. I think it's it's something like less tangible. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's Maurice Ward. That's what he was up to right before he invented Starlight. The impetus for Starlight was after the British Air Tours fire in 1985. Um, it's when 55 people aboard a plane at Manchester Airport died due to toxic smoke in- inhalation from an engine fail- failure fire. So oh, the wow. plane had, didn't even take off. And 50, 50, 55 people died on the ground. On the, well, there was a fire on the plane? There was a fire on the plane. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't escape and there was smoke inhalation. Exactly. So he thought, I'm going to invent a product that will prevent that. Yep. Here's what he said. He said, it interests me because it was an air disaster on the ground and because it was the smoke and toxicity that killed people, not the fire. 55 people died in 40 seconds. Whoa. We thought we'd like to find something that doesn't burn very much that would be useful. And there's footage of YouTube of the fire and the bodies all laid out in the airplane hangar. Ew, it's why actually is that really, on YouTube? I don't know, for people like me. But <laughs> it's actually very, it's quite moving. So think, if you want to think about what, you know, uh, Ward was witnessing or what he was, he, what might have kind of moved him to invent this product, that's what it was. Wow. Um, he'd always been a tinkerer. I think, you know, by all accounts, he was a tinkerer throughout his life. Um, during his spare time. And at one point, he actually opened a recycling business with his his wife and four daughters um, that ultimately started recycling plastics. So, oh, wow. So to respond to the disaster wasn't, disaster wasn't totally out of left field. Um, so he threw himself into the work, and he eventually discovered a formula for Starlight, which was named by his granddaughter. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I think we need to use his granddaughter as kind of an audience surrogate. Um, we might see how close the two of them are. And I think she continues to encourage him to sell the formula because she knows the good and the impact that it could have on the world. So sorry if I missed this. About how old is he at the start of our story and about how old is she? So Starlight was invented right around 1990. And he was about in his early 50s at that time. Oh, so we follow him from like his 20s into his 50s. Yeah, I, I don't know how much time we actually spend with him and... Maybe a young version in the 60s, and then we flash forward yeah, a couple years. Yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. Yeah, so he's probably in his 30s when he's in, when he's in the swinging 60s hairdresser days. Okay. Um, I don't know how old his daughter, granddaughter is, so I interpreted her to be in her teens because I liked that age for her. I like that too. Yeah. Um, it's funny for some reason to see like a teenage girl talking to like a 50-something-year-old man. Just They're just from a different world, and their yeah. interplay will probably be interesting. Exactly. Um, so I think earlier you asked, like, hey, this thing's bogus, right? Yes. Um, it was actually tested by the British Atomic Weapons Establishment, where it took on a total amount of energy of 75 Hiroshima blasts. What? And it was completely unharmed. Wait, what was completely unharmed? The, the actual substance the substance, was unharmed? yes. Okay. So is it like such a hard shell that nothing can get through it or is it a thing? Yeah, it's like basically it can with it, it's got strength and durability that is stronger than like steel or diamonds. So things that would melt heat that would melt steel or diamond if it had been coated 
with Starlight, it would have been fine. I feel like either you're going to tell us what Starlight was made of or that's going to be a central point of contention. That's the point of contention. The point of contention is that after... So the British Atomic Weapons Establishment tests it, finds out that, hey, this is legit. He then goes on to the BBC program Tomorrow's World, does a demonstration of Starlight in Action that you can actually see on YouTube. The demonstration consists of a raw egg um, coated in Starlight and a blowtorch put up to the egg, and they then crack the egg afterwards to show that it's still raw. Not cooked, nothing. No impact from the blowtorch. Can you normally cook an egg with a blowtorch? Or the egg would completely fall apart. That's insane. Okay. So after that, he gets about 3,000 inquiries ranging from Boeing, NASA, and the British Department of Defense. They all have talks with Ward. His phone is ringing off the hook. They all see the applications to their uh, various ventures. But in the same way that he used to boast that his hairstyles couldn't be copied, he protected the formula obsessively. And maybe he had a right to, because by some accounts, people were trying to steal the formula. Sure. So he has two problems. He has one, they, there's initially the question of whether this is for real, whether he's a, a fraud, whether a hairstylist could actually create something that would win the Nobel Prize, according to some accounts I read online. Um, Wait, and, that would or could? Could. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. Um, and then second, because of his, he wouldn't file a patent and his resistance to sell the, the formula, people were trying to steal it. So he said in an interview in 60 Minutes that someone allegedly tried to put a sample down their pants so they could reverse engineer it. What? And others like Boeing, who he actually came close to making a deal with, were insisted that he share the formula with one of their chemists before they would close the deal, and he wouldn't do it. But it attracted enough attention that he was on this British show and also on 60 Minutes, which is oh, yeah. a fairly rigorously checked show. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so it's the real deal. Um, and, and I think that's the sad, saddest part of this story. Um, act three is what I'm calling could have been. Ooh. The truth is that he tries to broker a deal and he gets a reputation of being unreliable. Supposedly he asked for a million pounds one day and then 10 million pounds the next day. Um, and then in that interview in 60 minutes, he says he thinks it's worth seven, several billion dollars. Well, I agree if it's true. Yeah. And he asked the interviewer kind of almost um, rhetorically, like, what do you think it's worth? Like, he can't seem to let it go. Yeah. You know, it's like the secret formula is more powerful to him than the good that it could do to the world. Like, keeping that secret. Well, okay. But he wanted to prevent accidents like the, like the grounded air disaster. Initially. Mm-hmm. So what happens? He gets so... Do, do other people doubting him, do they make, does that make him more determined to sort of keep his secret? I think so. I think so, yeah. And does he get like mocked as you're just a hair, hairdresser? What are you doing with this formula? Or why should we believe you? I think we could add a little of that texture. I mean, I feel like that's the first thing everybody asks. Absolutely. Like, what is your background to come up with this substance yeah, that could save totally. people from a nuclear blast? Absolutely. And are there scientists who are like, resentful of him because they don't think he has the qualifications? Probably. 
Wow. Yeah, I, I would imagine. I mean, the Could the properties and the the application of this of of Starlight is spectacular. I mean, to think that what it could do, the fact that 3,000 or increase were made at minimum, and, you know, I, I mean, I'll go into this a little bit more, but what it could have done for the world is really, is, is incredible. Yeah. And not, it, it, nothing ever happened. So okay. he can't, he ultimately can't strike a deal. Um, and, you know, maybe we see some of the events that happened during the 90s and early 2000s that Starlight could have helped. Maybe it's the Gulf War, 9-11, California wildfires, um, things that, you know, show he could have actually helped in these situations if he had actually sold the formula. <laughs> um, then Deepwater Horizon happens. Interestingly, Wait, I deep, think... What, what is Deepwater Horizon? Um, that was the, um, the oil leak in the Gulf. And was BP. It, it was an explosion on a oil tanker. Was it the subject of a Peter Berg movie? Well, if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna be, I, I told myself I wouldn't bring up Peter Berg this week. Okay, we almost made it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you told me not to. <laughs> okay. Um. So interesting. I think the the bookend to the to this film maybe is the first. Disaster is the the plane the, in Manchester, and then the second might be Deepwater Horizon because for some reason, twenty years later, that disaster triggers that same response in him, and he reaches out to BP to see if there's something he could do. Whoa! Um, this happens just a year before he passes away, so it's unclear whether they connected or whether they were close to doing something. Um, he passed away in 2011. He never applied for a patent. He stated that some of his immediate family members were aware of the formula, but there's never been any confirmation or denial. I like to think that one of his family members does know, and that despite his secrecy, maybe he told the one person who he knew would use Starlight for good, his granddaughter, who named it. Okay, we took a break to absorb all of this, and we, I did some Googling um, and saw that there's actually a company that says that they bought the rights to Starlight from his wife. Um, is that valid? I'm not sure. I mean, that was, what, six years ago? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen anything since then. And to be fair, I don't want to say anything bad about this company, but I've never heard of this company and I don't know if the website is just like a thing that they threw together. Right, exactly. So, so the mystery kind of goes so on. So the mystery continues. Wow. So I think for our purposes, I still like my ending of the allusion to his granddaughter maybe having the secret formula. And she could still use it even now. Exactly. Or perhaps yep. she has been using it all this time. Maybe. Maybe she's like a superhero and has been using it to prevent all sorts of things that we don't even know about. I love that. Yeah. This is an insane story. It's totally wild. So that's it, Tim. So to get into our next segment, which is development, who should direct this, who should play each character, who should play your main character, Maurice Ward? So I had a few ideas on this. You know, he's in his 50s throughout, like, you know, 
the 80s when he first sees the Manchester fire and then when Starlight is invented. So I'm like, okay, he has to be able to play about that age. Mm-hmm. So And then he does age into the, the um, Deepwater Horizon event. Mm-hmm. So I had a few choices here. Usually I feel very strongly about my casting choices. Mm-hmm. This week I'm not totally sure. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you a little context... Ward had really white hair. He was kind of balding. He had a very, like a, a nicely trimmed white beard. And in almost every interview I saw, he was wearing a bow tie and red suspenders. Hmm. So he's kind of a curious chap, if you will. Okay. So I thought... He, he dresses exactly like me. He dressed like you. He, yeah. he, you aspire to dress like him, is yeah. more accurate. So I thought maybe Hugh Laurie... I thought maybe Hugh Grant, a couple of the oh. British Hughes. Then I also thought maybe Steve Martin, even though he's American. I'm like, maybe he could pull it off. He's way too old. Yeah. I mean, you need to be like eccentric too. Yeah. I mean, I love Steve Martin, but Steve Martin like 1990 would be great. Yeah. If he okay. could do a British accent. And I don't know. He probably. looks good for his age though, Tim. He looks great. Steve Martin. Yeah. Yeah. But he's like 70. Well, he's a young 70. I really like your Hugh Grant suggestion because I could see them de-aging him and having him fit in very well in like the Swian 60s. Yeah. Um, I think he actually just played something like that in a very British scandal. Uh, and then he could also play himself at like, you know, his 50s. And I've never seen him with a white beard. Yeah. And I think he's a very good actor. He's you great. Know? And um, I, I would definitely get my hair done by Hugh Grant now. Who wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, those were a few of the, the fellows I was thinking. Then I also was thinking about his granddaughter. I think I have a really good one for this one. I was thinking maybe Millie Bobby Brown. Oh, sure. She would be good. Uh, I also thought Florence Pugh or Pug. I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. Is we she, saw her in Fighting With My Family. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Is she a little too old to be play a teenager? She might be a little. She's, she's pushing it. She's good, though. Yeah. I like both of them. Cool. Excellent. Excellent yeah, choices. So those are just a few choices. Wow. Then the director. Yeah. So one person I was thinking is actually is James Marsh, who did Theory of Everything. Oh. I thought, you know, you definitely have to be able to make science look be ap- appealing. Yeah. Um, and he, he definitely did that with that film. He also did Man on Wire, which was spectacular. Yeah. Um, and has definitely, uh, I think he could, I think he could handle it. I also think our reach might be Dave, David Fincher. I feel like the social network and the way that that, the mystery behind that, I thought in the conflict that like really subtle conflict could be a good, um, benchmark. Yeah. You know, I was also thinking for some reason, Jay Roach, um, because he directed Austin Powers. Oh my. And he also has done a lot of stuff with HBO and I could really see this as an HBO type story. Definitely. With like, it's a strange curiosity that you've never heard about. It's a chance for an actor to really reach and do something very different. I don't know if you need to see this. I think you probably do need to see this in a theater actually, because you have the incredible um, cinematic moment of the explosions, the multiple explosions. I know. Um, And you're also recreating, you know, swing in, not swing in London, but the swing in sixties in, Northern England. Which I actually think is more interesting because it's like, 
swinging London sixties is a Dumb. little a little played. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to see like what that's kind of why I liked Fargo season two. It's like what were the seventies like in the Midwest? You right. always see the seventies in like New York City. Exactly. But what were they like in you know North Dakota? Totally. Um, yeah, I think that's really cool. And I also like that you get to do the like northern English accents that are a little bit different and a little they're a little dirtier. They're just fascinating to listen to. They're they have amazing. some grind yeah. to them. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of this would feel very fresh and different and like it, it's kind of a story where you're like, how have I never heard of this? I, I mean, I just can't believe how incredible this invention is. And it's just, I'm like, how does this not exist? How did this not get patented? How did this not get bought? Because it really could change the world. Yeah. I, I think one tricky thing about the story is it doesn't, have like a natural climax because it ends kind of anticlimactically. It does, yeah. Like if it were a classic movie, everyone doubts that this thing works and then he puts on like his suit made of starlight and walks into a burning building and saves right. a child. But that didn't really happen. I mean, you can Argo it and you can add like some dramatic stuff that happened at the end that didn't really happen. And it's sort of tempting. Um, but you kind of have to do a thing where you do a B story where it's really about him and his granddaughter right? or really about his battle with himself and whether he's letting his pride get in the way of doing something good. Exactly. And then the, the story of whether this stuff actually works. I don't know if you ever answer that question decisively. Yeah. I mean, I, I think all signs point to it does, but it will ultimately be up to the audience to decide for themselves. I mean, what I find so interesting about this story is that, it actually flips kind of a traditional narrative on its head because I think you assume that something this spectacular and useful for the world would have to be sold and have to be disseminated and distributed. Yeah. And the fact that it doesn't, like that's almost the climax for me. The fact that it doesn't happen. Well, I think you leave a rabbit hole open to a conspiracy theory that, of course, this was so important that one of these big companies bought it up and then they also, it was so important that they had to hide it from the world. Like they disguised it. Sure. They didn't want anybody else to find out about it. And the fact that we never hear about it is a testament to how good it is rather than how ineffective it was. Right. It's mm-hmm. like NASA grabbed it. They said as a matter of national security, nobody can ever hear about this again. They put out maybe a bogus website to throw people off the scent um, and make people think that there was something fake about this. And... You know, maybe we even let people believe that this whole movie is a uh, is a government operation to throw people off from the truth. Why the hell not? Just to make it really meta and fun. Yeah, I like that. But yeah, I mean, originally I thought this could be an ending that didn't really resolve it for you either way and just left it open mind in your head. But it has to do that, of course. Mm-hmm. It has to leave it leave a bit to the imagination. But I think it should do that very aggressively. It, it should give you a lot of ways that you can interpret it. And I'd like for people to argue for months and months and months about whether the clues point in one direction or another. I do too. I mean, I think what's, what could be so interesting about this is the fact that so few people have heard about it. I mean, neither of us had ever had any idea that this ever existed and watching it, it there, there's just so much opportunity for dialogue after like talk about a water cooler yeah. moment, you know, like, the the implications of this product if it had been made what it could have done i mean like i said i was going through all of this in my head like the impact that this could have had if he had ever sold it and why didn't he and was it his right not to you know that's another kind of philosophical question yeah and i think with a lot of movies that are entertaining and enjoyable 
um, that you enjoy in the theater but don't really think about much later. The problem is there isn't really a metaphor. There isn't really a thing mm-hmm. that the story is really about that lingers with you. Like, I really enjoyed Avengers Endgame, but I don't know, like, what it was really truly about. Right. And I think with this one, what it's really truly about is whether this guy let his pride get in the way of accomplishing something great. And mm-hmm. are we kind of perfect as the enemy of good? Um, yeah, I mean, I actually had written down, like, theme of, is it about, you know, personal gain or fulfillment or social gain and fulfillment, you know, like, and are we allowed individually to make that choice? It's sort of like the fountainhead. I mean, that book, I mean, like that's, it's a similar question. I don't actually know how the fountain, I know like conservatives love the fountainhead, but I don't really understand it. It's really about, is it about me or is it about we? Well, I think there's something interesting now about, all of the things that people do that are supposedly good, are they doing them because they're good or are they doing them because they want to appear to be good? Sure, sure. Like, are we are we saying the things that we say on Twitter because we actually believe them or because we want people to think that we're good people? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And in this case, does he have something to back it up or not? Like, does this thing actually work? Yeah. And it's interesting because whether whether this product works or not, it doesn't work in his lifetime. Like, if anybody carries it on, it's his granddaughter. Yeah. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Or maybe his wife, if we believe that website. Right. Yeah. What do we call this thing? I mean, there's only one name. Um, Flubber 2. Yeah. Flubber (laughs) 2. Bouncing back. (laughs) (laughs) Is it called Starlight? Yes. I think that's great. I mean, there's just no other option. Yeah, I don't know what else you can call it. It's. it's I mean, that's what I like. I mean, even the name for me evokes something. Like, I, I don't I don't feel like this is an action bombastic film. I think this is something moving, yeah. you know? Like, this was a guy who whose initial intentions were so good, you know, and he intended to create something that could change the world. He did, and his pride, his inability to let go got in the way you know and there, it, it's sad really and i really want to see hugh grant play that kind of tragic character i do too oh i'd live for that yeah i love this great cool um let's uh let's round up some financing let's put this thing together groovy baby i'll, I'll edit that out <laughs> please don't <laughs> it was a deliberate choice mm-hmm.